It's pretty wild that the commercial for Drug-Free Kids Canada just aired about passing things down to our kids. He has my eyes. He has her hair. He has my facial features. How about she has her mother's laugh? We're actually going to be talking about that in just a minute, very, very directly, because Carl Zimmer has written a book called She Has Her Mother's Laugh. We're going to look into human genetics, heredity, and maybe a little bit into the future of it, because we're getting, well, I don't know if we want to call it powerful when it comes to altering Little things here and there. Long time ago, somebody could flick a little switch on some genetic code and a mouse's eyes would turn from very, very dark to very, very light. They figured that one out. They could do it with fruit flies. Now, all of a sudden, we might be able to do more of that stuff with people. Well, we'll talk about that because this is a fascinating read. If you're somebody who doesn't want the latest crime story for the beach then this is one for you. You want to learn something this summer? You want to go, wow, uh, 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 you want to make those noises? You can. We are also going to be talking about street preaching. How many times have you been accosted? And let's call it that, because it is. These street preachers get up in your face. And that's being talked about right now at Community and Protective Services Committee. Is it fair? A lot of times, it's not really guys whose face they get into. It's women. And that's why this needs to be addressed. It's needed to be addressed for a while. It is being addressed, but there are concerns as to how far you can actually go with a bylaw. Because there is something out there called freedom of speech. It's out there. So can that keep anybody on the street saying whatever they want to, getting into somebody's face? accosting them. We are going to talk hydro. And there was also a cell phone that fell 450 feet and lived, completely lived, hardly a scratch on it, just one. And we'll get to that next hour. Let's bring on our very first guest here on London Live. Carl Zimmer has written a fascinating book, and he's done a lot of writing when it comes to genetics, when it comes to heredity. You've been able to read him in a lot of different publications, including the New York Times, and his new book is called She Has Her Mother's Laugh. Carl, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Carl, let's kind of look at a few things that we learn about over the course of our basic basic education. You could go back to a nature versus nurture debate, which is brought up at some point. You could look at Gregor Mendel and his peas. You could also hear the story of the giraffe that, you know, the giraffe kept reaching and reaching higher and higher for things on trees. And with that, the neck became longer and longer and longer. And eventually somebody said, you know what, you don't pass down behavioral genetic traits. However, in what you have been looking at, maybe there is just more than what color are your eyes going to be. Why exactly did you decide to look at this? Well, I think that heredity is one of the most powerful things in our lives. It's what we use to define ourselves, and it's how we connect ourselves to the past and to the future. Um, and, and so I thought it was... Uh, a good moment to kind of dive into it and really think about how did it become so important to us 
and what is what is all the new science that allows us to look at our own genes, that allows us to manipulate genes? What does it all mean for the future of heredity? If we go to genomes, a while ago somebody mapped the genome of a fruit fly and said, oh, there you go, there's a fruit fly. And then eventually we started doing dogs and cats and people got right on into humans. And then you map the human genome and you go, yeah, there you go, that's a human. It can't be that simple, right? Oh, no, no, of course not. And, you know, the first time that someone mapped the human genome, of course, that was just one genome. There are billions of them. We each have our own genome. And so, and and all the millions of differences uh, between each of us uh, are, you know, play a part in helping to make us who we are. And you can, it's amazing now that we're sort of at the point where we can actually look at our own genomes more and more. I mean, that's what companies like 23andMe or Ancestry.com are letting you do is actually start to really kind of look at at your own genetic inheritance. And we find that they tend to go back an awfully long way. And who knows, some strains may even go back to a time when marrying within the family was not just accepted, it, it happened. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there were uh, lots of cases, certainly with royal families, where they would want to sort of keep the power to themselves. And so royal families would only, you know, marry other royals or the most extreme version was in Spain, where in the 1600s, you would have literally have uncles marrying nieces and things like that. Um, and the irony is that um, that led to lots of inherited diseases getting passed down through these dynasties so that they actually made themselves sick with heredity. Wild. We are talking with Carl Zimmer, whose book is called She Has Her Mother's Laugh. Carl, you had some of your family tree kind of mapped and took everybody on a personal journey in writing this book. What did that help you to do? Well, you know, part, part of what it did was it helped me to really appreciate just how complex our, our inheritance is when it comes to DNA, you know. You might say, like, oh, did I get, you know, some gene for that's going to make me at risk of cancer or something like that. Um, well, you know, it turns out that you, you, you will have lots and lots of genes that you're inheriting that might slightly raise your risk for certain diseases like cancer or heart disease, and you probably have lots of them that are slightly lowering their risk. And it's a great big comp- complicated combination, but it's fascinating because you can even, you know, drill down and, you know, I was even looking at, you know, a list of my Neanderthal genes that I inherited from some Neanderthal who lived 60,000 years ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just fascinating how much uh, detail now we can finally get to when we're, we're looking at what we've inherited. People are probably saying, no way. Neanderthal genes, you, you, you went back that far. You can? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we can actually get Neanderthal DNA out of fossils now that go back 60, 70,000 years. Uh, and you can see that actually there are some stretches of them that match almost identically stretches of DNA in living people. And basically taking all the evidence together, it's clear now that uh, modern humans interbred with Neanderthals numerous times, and so that people uh, who have ancestry outside of Africa are about 1% Neanderthal. And you can actually, like, pinpoint the stretches of DNA and say, that came from a Neanderthal, that one too, that one too. 
Um, and so it's fascinating. You know, these, these Neanderthal genes are probably affecting our health. So my Neanderthal genes may affect my health differently than yours do. We're talking with Carl Zimmer, author of She Has Her Mother's Laugh. We're looking at heredity. We're looking at human genes. We're going to look at the future. But before we even get to more of the future or even the present, Carl, how about the idea that you had to take your own belly button lint and, and have that analyzed? Uh, why did you do that? <laughs> well, you know, when, when we're talking about the DNA inside of our bodies, it's not just human DNA. We have a microbiome. We have trillions of microbes living in our bodies, and we depend on them. They, they keep us healthy, and they have been co-evolving with us for millions of years. And so uh, it was just fascinating to get a little glimpse of that uh, diversity just by participating in a study where a scientist was just, you know, just seeing what's living inside of people's belly buttons. Turned out I have, they found 53 species in me, my belly button. That's not that much, because other people have over 100. Um, but what's really interesting is the, to think about how it is that these certain microbes get passed down through the generations uh, so that children are reliably getting uh, infected, if you were, with these, these same microbes again and again. And, and, you know, there's a continuity there in the same way that we pass down genes to the next generation. So heredity isn't just about genes. It can pass on other things. Yeah, I mean, that's a big point that I explore in my book is that, you know, genes are obviously central to what it means to be alive and to heredity, but there are other channels for heredity. And some are, you know, the evidence is pretty strong, especially like for us humans, uh, culture is a really important form of heredity. You know, we don't just pass down our genes, we pass down language, we pass down customs, we pass down technology. And uh, so this other kind of heredity really, uh, really helps to make us the most successful species on the planet. Because of all of the studying that you've done on this, when you hear nature versus nurture debate, do we need to rephrase that and maybe not call it a debate? Well, you know, it's it's a complicated relationship, put it that way. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we people want to sort of break things down into, like, clean uh, fractions, like how much of this is nature and how much is nurture. They're, they're intertwined. You know, it may be that you have, uh, you may have uh, genes that put you at risk for certain conditions, but like those genes don't really kick in if you, if you are in a good environment. So, you know, then your nurture can kind of cancel out nature. On the other hand, you know, nature can kind of guide you to certain kinds of ways of living. So in a way, nature is, is guiding nurture. So they're all kind of uh, worked in together, but you know, we we want you can talk about height or intelligence, and again and again, you you know, scientists can actually point to individual genes that are influencing these traits. At the same time, you know, we, we around the world we are many inches taller than people were a century ago, and it's not because of our genes. Our genes didn't change. Our environment changed. We eat better food. We have better medicine. So, um, so it's it's. It's both, which, you know, it really sometimes can be very hard to get wrap your head around, but that's just how it is. Carl Zimmer, author of She Has Her Mother's Laugh. Carl, let's deal with the present and the future, and you just pointed to something. People can identify genes and say, yeah, there you go, that's helping to determine height. We have the ability to play around with this kind of stuff. 
like we've never been able to play around before, the idea of engineering heredity. Uh, what do you... What do you want people to know about the ability to engineer heredity? Well, the insights we're getting into traits like intelligence, it's not, it's not magic. It's not as if suddenly we have discovered how to engineer an Einstein or something like that. There are probably thousands of different genes that are involved in influencing intelligence, and each one has a tiny, tiny little impact. So the idea that you could somehow uh, tweak one gene or another and produce geniuses is, is don't, that's just not going to happen. And, you know, there are risks to trying to interfere with, with genes. You know, if you say like, oh, I want to make some, make my kids really tall. Um, what happens if you, you know, switch a gene and so that what happens is they never stop growing? You know, obviously that would be terrible. And in fact, there are diseases that are just like that where people become giants and then they die of that condition. So, you know, we have to be incredibly careful when we start to even consider uh, tinkering with these things. But I, but there are lots of hereditary diseases that could potentially uh, be treated now with new kinds of technology like CRISPR. Well, just as you mentioned that, we got an email from Rob who said he belongs to a Lynch Syndrome support group on Facebook. One of the ethical questions that is posted is whether or not to have children because you could pass on the Lynch Syndrome gene and that increases the risk of certain cancers. One of the options becomes in vitro fertilization where a doctor could actually remove the mismatched gene. Is that something that we could be doing, should be doing, should be doing more of? Well, I think that uh, the the issues become more much more clear cut when you're talking about conditions like Lynch syndrome. These are conditions where you're just talking about a disease that may ha- or a condition that's just triggered by one gene and maybe one mutation in one gene. And there, you can really talk uh, talk more clearly about it. When, you know, when, they're really complicated diseases that like heart disease or diabetes, where you know the, we can't really talk this way about it, but. You know, there are already people, say, with Huntington's disease who are using IVF and basically looking at the embryos and saying, well, which one doesn't have the mutation for the disease? Let's use that one. That's already happening. Uh, And so, you know, in a sense, we're already living in this future that we've been wondering about. How much evolution does that future stand to have in the next little while? I mean, when does somebody step in and say, wait a minute, you, you can't go further than what you're going? Yeah, that's a good question, you know, because uh, I don't think that there's really a sharp line between uh, treating hereditary diseases and then, for example, looking for mutations that protect people from diseases. You know, we scientists have actually found some mutations that look as if they might really strongly protect people from Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, if if you're editing out, say, Huntington's disease using CRISPR, then why not edit in that protection to Alzheimer's? You know, that <laughs> that's, I think that, you know, that's going to be a tough conversation to have. And, there, you know, I don't think they're going to be actually be simple um, decisions we're going to be able to make. Um, and But we need to be having this conversation now. Carl, you mentioned CRISPR a couple of times. For anybody unfamiliar with that, what is CRISPR? CRISPR uh, is a new kind of gene editing technology. Basically, you scientists make molecules that can zero in on one particular spot 
in DNA and cut out a piece of, uh, of DNA there, and then you can replace that with another piece. And if it can, if it can work as well as some people hope it can, the, the thinking is that you could use that to uh, just rewrite DNA in a very precise way. But there are, you know, there, we're still at the stage where scientists are really trying to figure out just how accurate it is, uh, how safe it is, and so on. Um, there are a lot of open questions left about it. But there are also going to be some clinical trials probably happening quite soon using CRISPR to, to treat you know, uh, kids or adults with hereditary diseases where you, they want to go in and change some, some of the, the DNA in some of their cells to, to help uh, counter these diseases. And you could do that with people who are already here? This is not for the next generation? Right. So think about somebody who has sickle cell anemia, for example. So that is, they have uh, a mutation on both copies of a gene that's involved with hemoglobin. And this makes it uh, makes the red blood cells deformed. It's very painful, and people usually die by their 40s or 50s. It's a really, it's a really bad disease, and there, there aren't really any good, solid treatments for it. So the idea is that you would take some cells out of these people's bodies, and you would use CRISPR to alter a gene so that they could start making some hemoglobin again put those cells back in, and that would create a new population of these edited cells that would work. And the, the hope is that that would allow people to have a functioning blood system again. Carl Zimmer, author of She Has Her Mother's Laugh. Carl, we really appreciate all the time. When, when you look at that being something that is a possibility, does that become a branch of medicine in your mind in the future, or is it a little too early to tell? It could be. It could be. Um, there are, are similar kinds of uh, treatments uh, called gene therapy, where you actually just add in an extra gene to people's cells. Um, and gene therapy actually has been around for a long time. People were experimenting with it in the 1980s, but it had a very slow, rough road. And it's just now starting to get FDA approval. And so that gives you an idea of just how long it can take for really exciting uh, medical uh, treatments to, to get advanced. So we'll see with CRISPR. Uh, you know, it would be great if it just turns out to be incredibly accurate and safe and so on, but we just don't know yet. The, the science has not been done yet. Carl, great stuff. Really enjoy reading everything that you do. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please keep up the great work. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Take care. That is Carl Zimmer author of She Has Her Mother's Laugh. So in the nature-nurture debate, the easiest thing to say is it's a little bit more complicated than that. But you look at some of the things that exist now, some of the ways that you could, and this is what some people don't like about this, play God. How far do we let that go? That's something that isn't just a question for ah, somewhere in the future. It's a question now. And it's a question that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of parameters. As Carl had pointed out, it's not exactly a a nice solid line around, okay, well, you can do this, but you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do this. And it's all about finding ways to make us better. Absolutely. Where do we put even the gray areas if we don't get lines? We'll let you know what's coming up after news in just a moment underway on london live on a monday this is global news radio 980 cfpl the community and protective services committee is meeting right now 
And they're talking about Uber, talking about a few other things. One of the things on the agenda is street preachers, but in a different way. I don't think they've titled it street preachers. But if you've been around downtown, you know exactly what they're talking about. Essentially, this could come down to the unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space. We're going to talk about that in a minute, because how do you determine, just like in hereditary and genetics, how do you determine what's going too far and what isn't? That's next, after Jacqueline LaBelle and News. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you describe us, Canadians... How do you describe us? Doesn't take long before one word comes up. Now, polite, sure, uh, able to withstand great heat like today and great cold like we will see in January and February. We have those traits. Hopefully generous. What's another one? What is another one? Lucky. How about that? We're lucky to wake up where we do. And one of the reasons is we do have the freedom of speech. You know how boring talk radio would be if we didn't have freedom of speech? How do you feel today? Fine. How do you feel today? Fine. We all feel fine. Even though we don't, we're supposed to feel fine. So we're pretty lucky to have the freedoms that we do. And that means if somebody wants to be out on a street and they want to espouse their beliefs free to do that you know you can stand and say what you want you can call talk radio and say what you want you can phone a friend say what you want you can actually send an email to a government official and say what you want as long as there is no slander contained in any of it sure go for it fine again that makes us lucky And that's why this next topic is so very, very difficult. It's being dealt with right now by the Community and Protective Services Committee. And it deals with the unnecessary interference of enjoyment of a public space. That's the fancy title. One of the easiest ways to say it, because they've become quite well known over the last couple of years, is street preaching. Because they fall into this category. There could be others. Somebody who plugs in an amp and starts playing the electric guitar for the first time. You know what? I'm going to be a busker. But I'm going to learn to be a busker right here on the street. You know, I may not make a lot of money at the beginning. I'm hoping for a quarter or two. But give me a couple of years. Let me figure out how to play this guitar thing. Whew. I think I could be pretty successful. Wow. That's annoying. That would not work out well. That person should be tapped on the shoulder and pointed to an upstairs apartment. You know what? Go in there, shut the window, figure out this guitar thing, then come back. Forget the whole you can make a quarter to begin with. Let's get you up to speed first. So that really is no different. But there are a couple of aggressive individuals downtown that are giving people who would like to espouse their own freedom of speech a bad name. You know, my daughter and her friend ran into them on the weekend. And they happened to be uh, on their way to a photo shoot. So they had to walk from one building to another where the pictures were going to be taken. And somebody came up to them and they happened to be wearing dresses and makeup and said, you know, in the Bible, it says women should dress modestly and you are dressing unmodestly. 
And then on and on and on. They just kept walking. You know, when a strange individual approaches you on the street, that's usually a, a good thing to do. Just keep on walking. You, you don't want to stop and chat. So he said a few more things and on they went. We have people who work in this very building who have been referred to as prostitutes based on what they were wearing by these individuals downtown. So here's the issue. With this, this goes beyond, in my mind, the freedom of speech. This is now veering into unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space. But as we're going to hear in just a few minutes, there's a big issue in trying to craft legislation that basically says you can't do this, but you can do this. Hey, you can't do this, but you can do this. And then enforcing that becomes even trickier. Are you in favor of the city giving this the old college try? What do you think in trying to get people who are going above and beyond to espouse their beliefs, getting into your face, calling you names, telling you things that they don't believe are right? Is it time to shut that down? Let's open up the phones on this first. 519-643-2222, because there's no guarantee that we can. But is it time time to give it the old college try? 519-643-2222, street preaching, an annoyance that you live with, or something that needs to be stopped? How do you see it? This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I like to hope I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Some days, no. Some days, things set you off. It happens. But overall... I like to think I'm pretty easygoing, and I like to think I'm pretty tolerant. So if you want to sit and yell about something you believe on a street corner, okay, whatever. You're adding to the scenery. I don't mind that. You are really, even though you don't have as much rhythm, you don't really stand to be any different than the person who is singing Free Fallen on the next corner. But if you want to get into somebody's face with that, you want to push your agenda, you want to push your beliefs. In my mind, that's different. That's a different thing. Don't do that. I don't want to try and be influenced. You want to have a discussion? Absolutely. You want to come at me with those beliefs? No. That's not right. That is not right. Email from James says, Chris Brown can't follow Rihanna around all day and yell in her face as she goes through public spaces. Where does it stop? Somewhere. And then James says the government sets reasonable limitations on free speech. And James has been nice enough to pull out part of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It says the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. So basically, don't get in somebody's face. What do you believe? 519 643 2222. You can email Mike at 980CFPL.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. And Doug, you have the first thought. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. Um, well, obviously, you know, it's such a tricky subject because with there's good and bad in all of this, right? Now, there's nothing there that says that they're allowed to talk to these women or anybody in such a way, but, you know, it. You try and talk about how do you enforce it. So do you do you have a complaint center where people can call in and then you investigate the complaints? Well, then it's done. 
have we found a, an, an actual applicable situation for social media justice where really the only way to confront these people or get them off the streets is to actually, you know, film them and catch them in the act? Because what are you going to have a bio officer stand at the downtown and just listen and, and, and screen these people? We don't have the people like, to do that. We don't have enough people. <laughs> right? So, like, where does it become? And, and you know, it, I think it's a... Unfortunately, it could be a waste of time. Not, this is nothing against the people that it's happened to. Obviously, you don't want that to happen. How do you police it? It's, it's, you can set rules, but how do you police it? It's no different than getting catcalled downtown on a Saturday night. Like, I don't know how you police this other than just call them out and hope for the best. It's unfortunate. Well, Doug, believe. you've highlighted absolutely the biggest problem in all of this because you can you can set rules but until you're able to enforce those rules the rules don't stand for much no and they can't be there everywhere plus like you just said right like what are we going to do pay somebody to sit down there no that's a waste of money Mm -hmm. a waste of everybody's time just to try and catch one person who's being a little loud i mean we've got a lot of other (laughs) things on a list of things we need to do long before that (laughs) yeah yes thanks for the call yeah take care 519-643-22 22 and that's just it i mean if you have a list of things to do on your house and one is fix hole in roof and another one is pick up tiny speck of dust on a ledge downstairs i mean what's going to be number one and what's going to be number last yeah that tiny speck of dust yeah, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll take the Swiffer cloth down there, and I'll, I'll I'll get to that tiny speck of dust. But it's not helping, or it's not hurting anything right now. And so I'm I'm not really going to head down there and do that. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Ted, what do you think about this? Um, there used to be this thing in our society called respect, and it was respect for for women and people on the street. Now, I know there's a lot of construction crews with whistling at women and that, and, but I don't think anybody went up to anybody and said, you shouldn't be wearing pants or you shouldn't be wearing doing this, your makeup's wrong. Uh, we've, uh, in our society, I'm getting up there, I, I see a lot of disrespect out there for people. And it's, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but uh, it's... Uh, uh, that's that's what it boils down uh, to right. in a lot of things. You're right. No, Ted, you're exactly right. Respect, and obviously Ted's had some run-ins with these individuals or knows of people who do because he just mentioned a couple of the things that certain ones keep bringing up. Pants, makeup, 519-643-2222. Let's go to Marilyn. Hey, Marilyn. Well, I'll tell you something right now, that if somebody comes up to me and calls me out, I'll tell them this. Take the board out of your own eye before you pick up the speck in, my, in mine. And who said that? Jesus Christ. Now, I drive 10 miles uh, on a Sunday to go to church to listen to a very brilliant speaker, a very brilliant pastor. I don't need some two-bit uh, nut telling me what I'm doing is wrong. Marilyn, that outlines it right there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. I'm going to have to write that one down. I don't don't know that actual quote. Take the board out of your eye before 
You addressed the speck in mine. Is that the way it went? I think I'm missing the words just a little bit. 519-643-2222. Richard, how do you feel about this? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Pretty good, thanks. I have to totally disagree with your first caller about saying that we can't enforce the rules. If we can enforce the rules in the City of London when it comes to a cancer driver, I'm sure we can enforce the rules in the City of London, right, when it comes to two individuals who are calling women out and getting into their faces. One of the best opinions, Mike, I've ever heard on this, right, and it came from one of your colleagues at AM 980, and I want to stress, right, that there is no way that Devin Wright was advocating violence in no shape, way, matter, or form he was doing that. But he once stated at the round table, right, he said, I'm absolutely amazed, he said, that nobody out there has punched one of them in the face. I can tell you, Mike, in the cities I've lived in across Canada, believe me, this would have been dealt with, uh, this would have, uh, how do you put it nicely, it would have been dealt with years ago. Let's put it that way. As for the new bylaw that they're bringing in, I just hope that London City Council, when they draft this new bylaw, Mike, I just hope, right, that they make sure that they've got their legal team there and they got a constitutional expert there to make sure that all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted and that it'll stand up to a chartered challenge. You can rest assured there'll always be a Clayton Ruby out there or a Gord Cudmore or a Roy Romano who will take that case, right? So I just hope that they make sure right that they it stands up to a constitutional challenge and one last thing if you're listening to me or or scratolic if you ever slapped one of them right with a twenty three hundred dollar fine right for yelling some filthy obscenities at women you would have my full support and you know something mike on one last note i'm glad you weren't with your daughter that day because i don't think it would have ended well for that individual would it have well i'm i'm not the toughest guy in the world but yeah i would have i would have been verbally involved that's for sure let's put it this way when it comes to your wife and daughter I'm sure that's where your tolerance has a line. You said it. Richard, you have thanks. a good afternoon, Mike. Bye-bye. You too. You know what? There is something to be said for that. It, there is. Now, our society doesn't allow for that anymore. It really doesn't. But it, in the past, has made a difference. You know, Threat of personal harm is something that you can't really do anymore. And there are good reasons for that. But at the same time, does it get stuff done? Hey, yeah. Tends to. We'll take a quick break. If you're on hold, please remain on hold. We'll get to some emails that we have had in just a little while as well as we continue to talk about street preachers. Let's boil it down. I mean, we can turn it into unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space, but this is boiled down to the people who are downtown doing this thing. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This hour has been all about how do you draw a line if you can't draw it in a nice solid line how how do you do that we talked about heredity how do you say okay you can flip off that gene because it'll probably do that but ooh, that one that makes somebody a little bit faster let's not touch that let's uh, let's let's how do we do that how do you say one's right and one's not how do you say you are entitled to sit and play sweet home alabama till your heart's content you are Fine to sing O Canada over and over and over. But preaching and getting into somebody's face? Uh, no. But there are a lot of people who are sick and tired of people getting into their face or into the faces of females who might choose to wear pants or who might choose to wear makeup. 519-643-2222. Jim, how are you doing? Yeah, man. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Good. 
Um, yeah, I just want to say, first of all, I think these people we're speaking of that are standing on street corners uh, doing what they're doing, I, I think they give a real uh, Christian a bad name, or maybe they're not Christian, maybe they're whatever faith, but they're not really following what the tenets of the Bible speak. And what I'm relating to is the fact that Jesus told people, remove the log from your own eye before you talk about the splinter in your brother's eye. There's Marilyn's quote. Thank you. Let me write that down again. Remove the log from your own eye before you, me uh, before you try to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Now, okay. that's I'm just paraphrasing. I'm oh, okay, okay. With me, I'm sorry. But the point is, is, uh, and, and I mean, if these people, like, if they read the Bible, they'd see Jesus never acted like that. Jesus didn't go around condemning people, and he said that specifically. He said, I'm not here to condemn people, you know. He just tried to explain to people the, the right way to live. And he didn't go around standing on corners, uh, you know, uh, cussing out people or uh, uh, degrading them at all. So... These people are giving a true believer a bad name. Well, Jim, I appreciate you calling in and, and expressing that. Okay. Take care. Thank you. See? And that's that's a good point. Because a lot of times you would if if you stop and listen to somebody who is and it doesn't even have to be the people with the speaker. You know, there are other people who are downtown, and what they're saying tends to have a biblical sentiment to it. Some will read from the Bible, and they might be espousing a Christian message. And yet you've got to look at this and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And that's, that's maybe the problem with just using Christianity as a blanket term. Because you could divide it into all kinds of different things. There are all kinds of different beliefs that would still be called or still be underneath Christianity. But as Jim pointed out, you know, there is, there's nothing in the Bible that says condemn somebody for what they're doing, for what they're saying. Rob, by the way, has it. Here it is. Here is Marilyn's quote. Rob says it comes from Luke 6.41. As originally stated by Jesus Christ, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I like I still really like that. 519-643-2222. Still more emails to get to in just a minute. We've got 60 seconds before we break for news. Bob, those 60 seconds are yours. Yeah, Michael, I can guarantee you if I had been in the vicinity uh, when this was going on with your daughters, I certainly would have intervened absolutely 100%. Um, the other point is, uh, you know, if I'm walking down the road and that happens with my wife or another female or somebody, and they start spewing off, and the first thing I would say to them, you better step off, and you better like just walk. Don't don't follow me. Don't chirp on me, because if you don't, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on your ass right here. And then I would do that if the guy persisted and and and, and continued to spew. Uh, you know, derogatory comments towards the ladies. And then I would just let that get settled in court. I wouldn't put up, I wouldn't tolerate it at all. The other point I wanted to make, does anybody know if these if this person is uh, um, connected to any specific religion or group? Like, don't know. Yeah, don't no, know. we don't know. 
Okay, well, yeah, I have no tolerance for it, and I'm, I'm appalled that the city doesn't do anything about it because I know this has been going on for, like, what, two or three years now. Yeah, well, you know what? Yeah. We've got to move on to news. Bob, thanks so much for the call. The city is talking about it right now, the Community and Protective Services Committee meeting, and we will talk with Phil Squire in just a little while. We'll get his thoughts from a city perspective and some of the things that have been raised in the last half hour. Doug raised one saying, how do we enforce it? Will likely be some of those things that Councillor Squire looks at, because that's what it ultimately comes down to. How do we enforce this? So we'll talk more about that before the end of the show. We'll talk hydro in just a couple of minutes. We've got news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, let's finish off the conversation that we were having just before news. And if you missed it, it started out as looking at unnecessary interference when dealing with the enjoyment of a public space. What the heck does that mean? That means that you should be able to walk around and not have somebody shout at you for wearing pants. That means, what do you mean? Nobody shouts at you for wearing pants. Uh, Try being a female walking around downtown when a couple of street preachers who've made themselves famous doing that, maybe infamous doing that, come up to them. Because that, that is what happens. So that's what we were talking about. And James had sent a little section of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Andy kind of backed that up saying, I believe this would stand up to scrutiny under the Charter as a justifiable limit, uh, justifiable limit on free speech. These women that the preacher, these women, sorry, these women that the preachers are targeting have the right to go about their daily lives. Absolutely, they do. Couple of other emails on this. Uh, one from Sean says it's too easy to invoke an appreciation for the liberties we have, but just as easy to misinterpret and abuse it as well. There used to be a point where the unwritten rules were understood by most, such as simple courtesy, uh, respect of personal space, and one's opinion. Having said that, while I understand we have freedom of speech, it should never be okay to have someone screaming his or her opinion in your face. And another one from James, and it's another Bible passage, uh, comes from Matthew 7, 5. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. So a lot of variances of the same quote that Marilyn had talked about basically means, hey, you want to tell me what I'm doing wrong? You take a look at all the things that you're doing wrong first, and you might want to pay attention to those. Don't be talking about me when you've got some things yourself to fix. No one is perfect. So when we look at what comes out of this, again, we'll talk about it before three o'clock we'll get to it and we'll get kind of some some city perspective on this from a city councillor and some of the challenges that do exist but a lot of them have been spelled out and none of them are easy to deal with it's kind of like another thing what else is out there and and can be changed but still is not easy to deal with it's kind of riddle monday isn't it that riddle the answer hydro ontario and it's hydro We've got all kinds of issues that have crept up since Doug Ford became premier of this province. We have seen the Hydro Board go. We have seen the CEO go. We have now seen 758 contracts go. 
Let's spend some time exploring what all of that means, because one of the things that we do keep seeing is in making all of this stuff go, we could see hydro rates drop and everybody would love that. And somebody's even put a number to it saying, yeah, down by about 12 percent. Well, somebody who follows this more closely than the rest of us is Tom Adams from Tom Adams Energy. And he joins us now, firstly, to talk about whether or not we could see a reduction in the price of hydro. Tom, how are things other than convoluted? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so Ontario's electricity file has always been a kind of a, a, a complicated mess, but it, it's um, it, it, a lot of balls in the air right now. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm interested to see how the person who has thrown those balls into the air continues to juggle. There are other people involved in this, too. Uh, we all want to know, is this ultimately going to result in lower hydro prices? Before we break it all down, could you give us a hint? What do you think? Yeah, that, you know, we, we've just gone through an election, right, where all three parties were uh, promising uh, immediate electricity relief, uh, rate relief. The, the, the immediate relief thing is not happening. There are some uh, positive signs uh, coming out of the Ford camp uh, about long-term costs, and those are really what we should focus on, I think. Um, but in terms of immediate relief, no way. Um, uh, this uh, 12% reduction on top of where we're at right now, there's a lot of reasons why that, that just doesn't work. But, but let me just throw one out, out here. Um, in the immediate run-up to the 2018 election, um, the Ontario Liberals instituted a 25% across-the-board rate cut for households, um, and they called it their Fair Hydro Plan. It, you know, and it was clearly a response to the fact that people were just alarmed about what had happened to their uh, cost of power. So there was two ways in which that program was made made possible. One was uh, borrowing a lot of money, and the second was transferring a lot of money out of the cap-and-trade program. Um, so, you know, Ford has has said that he's, he's can't, you know, he, of course he's on, on track now to cancel cap-and-trade, and he's also going to de- balance the deficit. Um, so right out of the gate, he faces an enormous challenge just around existing power prices, which are not collecting the full cost of, of, of power. So you can see, like, his 12% promise, it, it, you know, that's politics, but it's not reality. And that's, I guess, what we have to keep in mind here, because it feels as though Premier Ford has gone in and said, OK, well, these contracts are no good. Let's get rid of that. Uh, let's get rid of the board. Let's get rid of Hydro CEO, the six million dollar man, as everybody liked to refer to him. And let's all do that. And, and everything's fine. OK, moving on to the next thing. And it can't possibly be that simple or somebody else would have done it. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's just kind of step back, take a breath, right? <laughs> um, uh, and, and just try to have a kind of cool-headed view of, of, you know, of where we're at and, you know, what's just transpired. So we've got Ford getting rid of the, the hydro board and the $6 million man. That doesn't count at all towards a rate reduction. The amount of money that we're talking about is just so trivial, uh, in the context of $21 billion overall cost of power for Ontario this year, th- that, um, you know, it's atmospherics, 
it's red meat politics for some of the people that really hated Hydro One um, uh, and voted for Ford accordingly, but it's just not relevant to a 12% rate reduction. The second part of the announcements last week, so a whole lot of uh, renewable energy contracts that uh, were at a cancelable stage of development where the contracts allowed the government to pull the plug on those uh, contracts relatively uh, easily. That uh, So there was an announcement Friday of 758-odd uh, um, contracts, a lot of them, well, almost all of them for uh, wind and solar um, uh, all of it very high cost power, but again, pretty small potatoes in the context of um, uh, you know the promised rate reductions that Ford hitched his wagon to in during the election campaign. Um, uh, so the the government's saying this is approximately eight hundred million dollars worth of savings um, a- after taking into account the the expected cost of unwinding uh, those contracts. Let's assume that they're right about that, but that's over 20 years. You know, that that's really in the order of 40 million bucks a year. Uh, again, in the context of Ontario's overall power bill, this is like in the in the order of 0.2 percent. Um, uh, so this, this is this is a step in the right direction. It, it, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. I, you know, getting rid of some some of this very high cost, low value power is a very positive step for ratepayers long term, but it does not translate into the kind of, of rate relief that um, I think the government wants us to, to believe. You know, the, we've had government ministers over the over the weekend that were tweeting out, "Yeah, we're on track for a 12% rate reduction because look, we're getting canceling these contracts." Hang on a second, not so fast. <laughs> Tom Adams with us from TomAdamsEnergy.com. You can find all kinds of great info there. Tom, then, as a last note, what are you most interested to watch play out? Uh, well, you know, there are a lot of uh, very controversial um, energy projects that are uh, that are underway uh, where unwinding those contracts would be uh, uh, complicated uh, uh, legally. There, there would be uh, financial costs, um, uh, you know, some unwinding costs associated with it. On the other hand, uh, potential for huge savings over the over the long haul. I'm, I'm really uh, keen to see how the the Ford government goes around go, goes about managing the existing portfolio of of committed uh, uh, long term energy uh, contracts. That's really when we get into the you know the nuts and bolts of what electricity is going to cost five years, ten years down the road. Um, uh, there, you, you know, we, we, we there's all kinds of dangers ahead. Um, uh, you know, potential uh, NAFTA litigation, and, and I'm sure the lawyers are, are starting their engines as we speak. We'll see what happens, Tom. Always appreciate your insight. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Tom Adams from Tom Adams Energy. So going back to the beginning, 
He doesn't see this as being a quick snap, hey, drop in the price of hydro, long-term, sure. But look at what Tom mentioned a couple of times. When we have a $21 billion price tag for hydro in this province, if you're talking about $6 million saving, 400000 saving, it's like saying, hey, you know what we're going to do? Kids, come on in. we got to rebudget things. We're spending way too much money. All right. Um... Stop putting in the nickel into the gumball machine that's at the back of the mall. Stop doing that. Save that nickel. That's what you need to do. Or when you walk over a penny on the sidewalk, even though you can't really use them anymore, anymore, pick that up. Make sure you don't leave the penny on the sidewalk because, yeah, we'll need that. That'll help us out. That's not where you attack a budget. You look and you go... How many times did we eat out last month? Holy cow. Can we cut that down to, I don't know, one? Yeah, that'll save us some money. Up next, we're going to look at this from a solar perspective because we touched on this briefly with Tom Adams, but some of the changes to the solar industry. What if you're somebody who has gone out and purchased a solar panel for your house? How does that change you? What if what if we have someone who is involved in just about to plug in and And that particular contract has been canceled. How is this affecting the solar energy industry? We're going to talk with John Gorman, the president and CEO of the Canadian Solar Industries Association. And he'll tell us. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We have looked at whether or not we will see instant relief. And we have found, no, don't expect instant relief in hydro, I mean, there are a lot of contracts that haven't worked out, and you could take this with any envelope of government. There are a lot of contracts that could have been done better. You know, let's face it, things do happen in government, which is an I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine situation. That happens all the time. When we look at hydro itself, we've got a lot of different offshoots, and one of the things that's being cracked down upon is renewable energy. The liberals were all for it. It should be no surprise to us that the government in power, the PCs, are not for it. And the liberals signed a lot of bad contracts. And we've had a lot of proof of that for a long time. So the fact that the Doug Ford government is coming in and trying to eliminate things, sure. But we also have to pay attention to what is being done here and and who it does affect. And one of the areas that is greatly affected is solar. And joining us right now is John Gorman, the president and CEO of Canadian Solar Industries Association. John, well, let's just start here. How are things going with all that's happening surrounding solar and hydro? Uh, well, uh, you can imagine, Mike, things uh Things are a little bit hectic around here. Uh, our industry and uh, a lot of folks who've got solar on their their farms uh, and, and schools and rooftops are concerned about uh, the government's decision to cancel contracts. Now we heard from Tom Adams just a little while ago on the show that hydro is a twenty-one billion dollar cost, and if we look at whether even it's the hydro board being done away with or the CEO that everybody likes to call the six million dollar man, all of that really doesn't add up to much when you put it next to the twenty-one billion dollar tower that hydro is. Is that what you see here with the seven hundred and fifty-eight? projects that are being done away with? Yeah, I, I, I think it's important uh, 
for people to realize that 748 of those 758 contracts that the government has canceled are small projects. Uh, they're small projects. They, these are uh, these are these are solar panels on the roofs of uh, schools and community centers, um, on the barns of farmers, and uh, you 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 take those 748 little rooftop projects. I mean, they don't even register on the uh, on the radar in terms of any impact on the hydro bill whatsoever. So we're uh, we're completely flabbergasted that the government has decided to uh, to to go after uh, these these small contracts and essentially go after the little guy. No impact on bills um, and seems to be completely out of line with uh, you know their their platform about about helping the helping the the smaller the smaller guys. Is this being done for a juicy headline? Do you think? Well, I mean, you know, the number 758, you know, certainly sounds impressive, right? Uh, but as I said, 748 of those are are uh, are these small rooftop projects. So I uh, I can't speak for the government, but um, yeah, I guess that 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 seems like a bigger number. We're talking right now with John Gorman, and we're talking about this cancellation. John is the president and CEO of the Canadian Solar Industries Association. John, let's look at these projects. If we talk about a school or a barn or someone in a rural setting, take us back to how these benefit. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Well, uh, so yes, uh, Let's look at these projects. I mean, the, the 748 projects uh, that this government is canceling, um, 80, over 80% of those contracts are actually owned in partnership with uh, municipalities, uh, First Nations groups, um, and other community groups. So it's, it's not, we're not talking big developers here. We're talking about uh, community-owned projects. And the folks who are... Uh, actually receiving the solar on their rooftops, uh, those are schools, uh, those are farmers, uh, rural municipalities, uh, community centers. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, the London London area, uh, Elgin, Middlesex, for example. I mean, I, I know Dennis over there with um, the, the uh, you know, the German solar group, uh, Dennis German. You know, he's got 35 of these projects in the, the London uh, uh, area. Um, all of them are owned by with with community groups, uh, and they're going on you know schools and 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 uh, and uh, First Nations uh, communities and farmers' rooftops, and you know it's it's the the local guys who are building those right, the electricians, the contractors, etc. So yeah, it has a real it's got a real local impact. When we look at at kind of the impact for anyone who has something in place, what about someone like that who who has has purchased a, a number of solar panels, has them on their roof. What does it mean for them? Well, you know, you can imagine uh, we're getting a lot of phone calls, uh, both from our, our, our members, our member companies who, who build these things out, our installers, but also from folks who own these uh, rooftop projects, uh, farmers who are asking, uh, you know, what's going to happen to their um, their existing contract? Uh, you know, we, we, we have not had word from the government yet about uh, what is going to happen to existing contracts because these 748 contracts that they just canceled, they had not been connected to the grid yet. Most of them were just about to be connected to the grid. But they did say clearly during their campaign that they were going to renegotiate existing contracts. 
And, uh, you know, we're trying to get to the bottom of what that means. Does that mean they're going to be approaching uh, these community groups, uh, First Nations, farmers, others, and trying to renegotiate the contracts that they have on their roofs is, is still unclear to us. So we're, we're trying to track that down now. Interesting. Well, it's a story that has broken and definitely has a whole lot of elements to it that will continue into the future. John, thank you so much for providing the information you have today. Thank you very much for reaching out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. John Gorman, President and CEO of the Canadian Solar Industries Association. So still some unanswered questions there for people who are involved in the solar energy industry now in terms of whether or not you are going to continue on with the same contract, whether those would be renegotiated. What if you're in the process of doing something? That has not been announced. Again, I still see a headline here. 758 cancelled, and as John pointed out, 748 of those are pretty small. We will take a break for news. We have that next with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we will talk a little bit about Trump and Putin. We are going to talk about a phone that fell 450 feet. You're actually going to hear it fall, and it survived. And we will hear from Phil Squire who has been at the Community and Protective Services Committee meeting dealing with a number of things, including street preachers or unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Have you ever been on a ride? Have you ever filmed yourself on that ride? Because at the beginning of... All rides, I think they now have a disclaimer. It used to be hands and arms inside the car at all times. I haven't ridden a roller coaster in a while, but I'm pretty sure that they throw this disclaimer in. No cell phones. Put your cell phone in the little pocket or you can put it, sometimes you can't wear your shoes on a ride, you know, especially if it's one that hangs you. So you have to take those off. So you leave your cell phone too. Well, judging by the number of videos that exist, a lot of people ignore that second part and bring their cell phones. In Orlando, Florida, there is a thing called Star Flyer. It is the world's tallest swing ride. So what you need to do is picture a great big post, and it stretches 450 feet in the air. And then you've got swings, and what happens is you get on on the ground, the thing starts to turn and turn and turn, and on the swings you kind of fly out to the side, and then it goes higher and higher and higher and higher. Well, a woman from Turkey was on Star Flyer in Orlando, and she was filming the ride with her cell phone, even though Star Flyer is one of those rides that says, don't bring your phones, even... If you run the video back far enough, we don't have this on video, but one of the workers tells the line of people who were waiting to get on, hey, guys, listen up. No cell phones whatsoever allowed on this ride. So phones, caps, flip-flops, there's plastic bins right under the ride. You store them. The public can't get to them, so you're not going to get robbed. And then you go on the ride and you come back and get your stuff. So this woman, whose name is Cancel, gets onto Starflyer with a guy that she knows. And she goes up in the air. So you'll hear a little bit of the ride, and then you get to hear as she, filming with her cell phone, drops the phone. Nate, I cannot look, okay? I cannot look! 
That's the phone falling 450 feet. It was turning over and over. And so that's why it made that sound. And then it sounds like it hits something. And then it kind of rolls onto the sidewalk. It actually turns and is pointing up and still filming. So it films the rest of the ride. She posted this on her Facebook page. And it films the rest of the ride as they come back down. Because the phone survived. And immediately you're wondering, okay, what kind of phone is it? Uh, I don't actually know. Somebody had said it was an iPhone 7. Yes, it is. It's an iPhone 7 Plus. Oh, I didn't get the Plus. Uh, Does the Plus render it shockproof from 450 feet? It eventually lands on a hard surface. Now, it hits something first. I don't know what that was. A pillow? Had to be something. Because she gets down, has no idea where her phone is. Because she's on a swing going, oh, I can't look. Oh, And the view is amazing. And so she gets down and she actually uses the Find Your iPhone app. And she finds the phone, walks over to it, picks it up. Not only is it still working, it has one tiny scratch on it, nothing on the screen. And she did not have a protective case. So she did not invest in the OtterBox or whatever that new clear one is. That clear one's wild. It has like a grip to it where it's it's hard to drop your phone. And it, it gives you some kind of grip on the sides. So that thing has started to outsell the OtterBox. And she didn't have anything like that on it. It just went all the way down, flipping end over end over end. And the phone survived. That is cancel from Turkey on the Star Flyer in Orlando. Next up, we're going to go back to a discussion we had an hour ago. We're going to get some insight from a city perspective on essentially street preachers, but people who are interfering unnecessarily with the enjoyment of a public space. So you can go out and sit in a park. No one should have the right to come up to you and accost you and tell you whatever their beliefs are or tell you what they feel you're doing wrong. No one should have that right. But how do you police that? But how do you deal with that? Well, we'll look at how difficult it's going to be to construct a bylaw to deal with it. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If we take some basics out of our conversation last hour about the unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space, it's kind of a legal term. In other words... You shouldn't have to be concerned about walking down a sidewalk and having someone come up to you and saying, hey, you should be wearing a dress or why are you wearing so much makeup? One of the things that was said to my daughter just this past weekend by one of these individuals is she was with a friend. So we're looking at a couple of teenagers walking down the street. They did have dresses on. They did have makeup on. They were going from one building to another as part of a photo shoot. So this this was not normal dress for them. And they were told that the Bible says that women should dress modestly and you're dressed unmodestly. So here's kind of what the crux was of a lot of the feedback that we got an hour ago. That 
that kind of thing is not right, that you should not be able to do that. We had people calling up identifying themselves because the individuals who are causing the unnecessary interference are also known as street preachers and, you know, they're the squeakiest wheel of the downtown in this particular way. Somebody's playing a guitar? I actually like that. Somebody's playing drums? I'm a fan. Somebody's singing the national anthem? Sure. Go ahead. Don't get into my face with your beliefs. I'm not getting into your face with mine. So let's have a nice even trade. So here's what kind of came out of it. The idea that even people who would identify as believers in the Bible are saying, no, 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 these people are not doing it the right way. Well, if you were going to handcraft legislation on this, if you were going to put together a bylaw, there definitely would be challenges. And some of those are still being discussed right now at the Community and Protective Services Committee meeting. We had a chance to talk with Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire before that meeting got going. We just kicked off asking how Monday was going and how Phil was doing. I'm great today, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, Good. Let's look at, at the particulars of this because we've got a world that is pretty free and open if you want to Mm -hmm. express a thought you can express a thought however we've got a lot of people who have now come to city hall and said yeah i'm i'm tired of having someone get up in my face expressing some thoughts what do you expect to be the crux of today's discussion well first of all i think whenever you're passing a bylaw i think the first thing you have to do is say Look, we're not we're not going to look at one particular case. We've got to look at how this will apply across the board and across the city. In other words, if you're trying to create law uh, to attack one particular problem in one particular instance, other, sometimes you find that you're catching other people in that net. So sometimes if you're going for the worst to stop the worst situation, there may be other situations where people are just expressing an opinion in public, which we're all entitled to do, and people start saying, "Well, that's." I don't want that to happen either. I don't want to hear that opinion in public. So from my point of view, it's a it's a really fine line that we have to be careful of. And I think that's uh, that's that's going to be the ongoing legal debate that goes on around this issue. One of the elements that people will bring up when talking about this issue is the idea of an amplifier that yep. gives them an opportunity to express yep. their thoughts. Would there be anything there that you feel might have an issue? Yeah, I'm not so worried about the amplifier issue and getting rid of the amplifier because I think that can apply to to anything. In other words, if if you're walking down a street and somebody is amplifying the music uh, that they're playing in a guitar on a street that's that's bothering people, I think the amplified music and get and making you apply for that and going through a process, I'm not concerned about that. I think that's a good, probably a good protection overall, and it can apply to anything. So um, I don't. That one is not as bothersome to me. I think it's it's pretty straightforward. You can apply for a permit if it's reasonable what you're you're doing and amplifying. You should be able to get a permit. If we're looking at, at what is reasonable, that's going to be one of those legal terms that likely uh, dictates right. uh, whether or not somebody gets a permit and has a real gray area attached to it. If you're amplifying music, it's one thing. What if you're amplifying shouting? Can you differentiate between the two? No, and I think that's that's exactly the challenge. I think I think one person's uh, disgusting noise is another person's 
symphony music. You know, I, I think it, it's all a matter of what you consider to be to be good or not good, but that, that ultimately gets tested by the courts. And I think what you're going to see, I'm just I'm, I'm guessing a little bit as a lawyer, I think what you're going to see, first of all, is, is if there are charges after this section, if it gets passed, I think you're going to see some legal challenges around the freedom of speech issue. In other words, in curtailing people's freedom of speech, I think you're also going to see uh, challenges about the language, whether it's precise enough or whether it's too vague. So I think this, what the city's going to be doing is stepping into an area that's going to be rife for legal challenge, and I, I'm pretty sure we're going to see those legal challenges. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire with us as we look at an issue that's being dealt with by the Community and Protective Services Committee, and it for lack of a better term, as we talked about earlier, stems kind of from street preaching, but eventually we've got to get into unnecessary interference with the enjoyment of a public space. Phil, right. with a, a, a bylaw that would essentially be fairly small when we're talking about different instances it would have to look after, if we're looking at court challenges, is that something that the city has to weigh in terms of is it even worth doing at all? Well, I think that is something we have to weigh. We also have to weigh enforcement resources. You know, every time you pass a law or a bylaw in the city, you've got to be able to enforce it. In other words, you've got to have people who can come out and deal with that particular issue. And I can tell you from, from dealing with uh, issues with police, police don't have resources to deal with, with all kinds of noise complaints. They just It's pretty clear to me that they don't have the resources. They're involved in more serious crime. We also have an, a very limited number of bylaw enforcement officers. So every time you create a new category, there's going to be a call to a uh, to a bylaw enforcement officer, and they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to enforce that bylaw. And I can tell you that I'm going to be looking at this not from the point of view of one particular instance. I'm going to be looking at it more broadly and saying, look, how do we apply this across the city? You know, how do we apply it everywhere so that it, it works? So. You know, it's it's very challenging. The police obviously haven't charged, you know, these people with, with offenses under for hate speech, so we know that. So now it appears that it could be the case that the municipality is going to jump into that area. So it's it's challenging. I can I can tell you it will be challenging and it's going to be interesting. I think we'd all like to see this kind of stuff not go on. But there you go. We've got we to gotta deal with it. We do live in a visual world, and the hardest thing to do is, is capture that, hey, this is what the person is doing. This is what would go against the enjoyment of a public space. What if someone were to video what one individual was doing? Could that hold up, or does that have to go through the courts? Like, Could you bring that to a bylaw officer, or does that have to get a whole lot more official? Well, no. I mean, I think I think the the behavior has to be documented in some form, and I think this behavior, the behavior we're talking about that is brought about this, it's been well documented. There's lots of people who've witnessed it and know it. So I don't think we need a video or anything like that. I think it's just a question of what if if a charge is laid under this section, everybody has a right to to fight the uh, fight the charge. They may fight it on the basis that what they're saying doesn't come within the bylaw, but they can also fight it on just saying this bylaw. It's too vague. It's, it's outside of the jurisdiction of the municipality. We're trying to regulate free speech, which we're not allowed to do. And that's the problem with free speech. Free speech sometimes can be very disagreeable. Free speech sometimes can be something that you don't agree with or you don't want to hear. But in some cases, that's, that's the price of a free society. So it's going to be an interesting discussion today, and we'll see what happens. Bill, thanks so much for the time. It was great to be with you. Thanks so much.
That is Phil Squire, Ward 6 Counselor. We're going to have more on any developments from the Community and Protective Services Committee meeting. We've had a reporter there after 3 o'clock as we get going on news with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick. Up next, two other individuals were doing some speaking today, both of them presidents. President Vladimir Putin of Russia, U.S. President Donald Trump. These two... If if you had turned them into the cover of a comic book and said, taking over the world, that's kind of how it looked as they stood up on stage at their podiums. Well, we're going to go to the comments that seem to be riling everybody up at this stage that you're going to hear more about later today on into tomorrow. I'll play you a clip from Donald Trump. And one of the things that he said before we close out the show. You're listening to London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We had, of course, a little meeting earlier today between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. And a lot of people were wondering about how Donald Trump would address the allegations or now the indictments of 12 Russian officials for election hacking. Well... Here is U.S. President Donald Trump being asked about Russian involvement with the U.S. election that he won in 2016. There was no collusion. I didn't know the president. Uh, There was nobody to collude with. There was no collusion with the campaign. And every time you hear all of these, you know, 12 and 14, it's stuff that has nothing to do. And frankly, they admit these are not people involved in the campaign. But to the average reader out there, they're saying, well, maybe that does. It doesn't. Uh, And even the people involved, some perhaps told misstories, although in one case the FBI said there was no lie. There was no lie. Somebody else said there was. Uh, We ran a brilliant campaign, and that's why I'm president. Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, Someone should be standing up, and as president, should they not be Backing up the officials that that look into all kind, like whether it be the FBI, whether it be the CIA, it doesn't matter. Uh, we've got a president that goes against those two bodies a lot of times in the U.S. And the idea that that it, it becomes this personal thing each and every time has to be troublesome. Um, you're going to hear more about that. And... I think the the biggest problem in this is that you're going to have a lot of his supporters saying, see, there you go. There you go. There, There's all the proof that you need. And that becomes a big problem. Okay. So that's going to carry itself into the next couple of days. And you'll have all kinds of experts a whole lot smarter than me weighing in on it. Coming up as we go to news, you'll hear more about what happened today at the Community and Protective Services Committee meeting. And again, the conversations that either we all had about an hour ago or in hearing from Phil Squire, this is difficult to put together. It would be nice to say we had a police officer on every corner. We don't have that luxury. We certainly don't have that luxury with bylaw officers, but something has to be done so that women are not feeling as though they could be accosted just by walking down the street. We are out of time. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick. Thanks to Andrew Graham. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.